Hello and welcome to episode three of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. Um, and this week we are doing rereads versus not rereads, <laughs> and Dorothy Whipple versus D. E. Stevenson. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Um, how are you, Rachel? What have you been up to? I'm very well, thank you. I um, haven't been up to enormous amount. I'm just counting down the days now until the end of term. Oh, how many are they? Um, too many. <laughs> okay. <laughs> how about you? What have you been up to? Um, again, not a huge amount, although I have just recently started doing book bingo. Have you seen that anywhere across the I've, internet? I've seen, I think I saw it on your Facebook page, but I didn't quite understand oh. what was happening. Well, it's done by a podcast called Books on the Nightstand, which I have to confess I've never listened to, but I'm <laughs> sure they're great. Um, and they, they put together like a sort of bingo mechanism thing where you generate a card and it gives you 20 five different categories of books to complete things like it can be anything from like a book with a blue cover or book published before 1900 or book that you your friend recommended to you blah 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 blah. um endlessly sort of interpretable to to to, uh your whims um and i've got my whole office doing it now which is exciting so you have to read a book for each of the squares that you get you do um so if you get a line you get you know you get bingo or whatever that is called when you play bingo and if you get all of them you get full house <laughs> which may also be called bingo i don't know uh, okay um the one that really scuppered me um is presidential biography <laughs> <laughs> so in doing some research i discovered there is a blog where someone only reads presidential biographies really he's read like 90 of them that's ridiculous okay <laughs> <laughs> so i went with a child's biography of abraham lincoln <laughs> instead <laughs> Good yeah, hundred pages with pictures. So, <laughs> uh, so what what are you reading at the moment? Um, that's I'm currently reading. I was just thinking, I, am I reading something? Yet? <laughs> are you uh, a fraud? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I don't read ever. Um, I'm reading "Put Out More Flags" by Evelyn Moore. Ah, that's it's yeah, it's, it's. I was going to say it's funny, but then I realized, remembered that I found it far too dark and scary to people. Not scary, but just <laughs> malicious, maybe. Um, well, I, I don't think it's his best so far. I mean, I've, I think I've read about a third of it, I think. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not loving it, but it's not my favourite. <laughs> um, and note the seamless way in which I'm going to segue here. Is it a reread or not? No, it's not, Simon. It's a <laughs> book that's new to me. <laughs> Tell me more about your thoughts on rereading versus books new to you. Um, okay, I will. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think if I've, I don't actually reread books very often. I always intend to and then don't because I feel the pressure of needing to read the books that are unread on my mm, shelf. So mm. the exception to this is that I do very regularly reread Jane Austen. Um, okay. and, yeah, and I do also reread another seamless connection here, Dorothy <laughs> Whipple quite <laughs> Um, and obviously, I reread the books that I have to teach again and again and again, which I love. I, I love doing that because there's new things that come out at me every time. So, I, I, I really do see the value in rereading. I think it's a wonderful experience because you can see the text on a completely different level. Um, I remember the first time I reread Emma and I, uh, by Jane Austen, and I just thought, "How did I not see this the first time round?" And it's mm. so fun to unpick the clues. Um, and what age I, were you? The two different times you read it, or two I, of the first? I first read it when I was fourteen, 
and mm. then I reread it for a, I had to do it for A level, um, and I had to read it, you know, about four or five times for that. And every time I saw saw it happening earlier, it was really funny. Because uh. <laughs> each time I think, oh, this is the first time, and then I'd read it again, and be like, no, that was the first time. <laughs> and um, you know, and also I thought, oh, and that I could have I could have figured out from the very first time that Emma and Mister Knightley met that he was interested in her because. <laughs> just, so it's. I love I love rereading for those purposes, but I think I don't um, make enough opportunity to reread books, and I should. I need to pause for a moment to be super impressed that you read Emma four times for your A levels. That's, <laughs> yes, that's a know. dedicated student. I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've actually only read Emma once, which is shameful. I should should definitely read it again. But um, I used to be not maybe not anti rereading, but it was something I very seldom did precisely for that reason there were so many other books that I wanted to read and I'm coming around to it much more now and I think they sort of fall into three categories for me perhaps so a reread out of necessity because my book group is doing it or something yeah um a reread because it's a book I really love and I've reread it before and I know that I love it um like Miss Hargraves by Frank Baker and the Provincial Lady books um and then the third category is the one that's probably the most rewarding and happens least often um, of just a book that I, like, like you with Emma, that I reread and get a lot more out of the second time round. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, that's the one where I guess I'm much less likely to because which ones to pick from the past? I don't know. <laughs> because wow. uh, there's some books, and I've been intrigued to know which yours are, that the first time around you thought they're okay or, you know, you even like them a bit and the second time around you like them much, much more. But... I've had that experience a, a couple times, but I think, how do I know which of the books I just thought were okay were secretly containing books that I would deeply love? How do I know which ones to reread? <laughs> and also, I think there's sometimes there's the inverse to that, and I've had this experience several times, which is why sometimes I can be reluctant about rereading, is when I've absolutely adored a book, and then I've I've reread it, thinking, I just can't wait to reread this book, it's going to be wonderful. And then I've got nothing out of it the second time, and been wondering, why on earth did I love this so much the first time? And it's I, I find that really upsetting. So, examples, please, which ones? <laughs> okay, um, well, I, ha- I have to say, the first time I read Anna Karenina, I thought it was amazing. I was 16, and I just thought, oh, this is, you know, this is the most incredible thing I've ever read. It's so clever. And then the second time I read it, when, I mean, it was a couple of years ago, I think, I just thought, this is such a lot of trial. <laughs> this is good the first time around. If I have to read about scything corn or one more time. <laughs> so that was a disappointment. And I'm just trying to think of something else that I read. I remember it, and I just thought, oh, this is so upsetting. Um, it, it's not coming to me. I'll see if I can think of it. And I'll talk while you think about yeah, it. <laughs> um, I think I, I'm trying to think if I've had that experience. I, well, I when I reread Cheerful Weather for the Wedding by Julia Strachey, I um I certainly liked it less than the first time around. But I wouldn't say I hated it. I think I was just in the wrong mood for it. Mm. But um, a book that I the one that always comes to mind when I think I should reread more is um One Fine Day by Molly Pantadowns. No, I was just I was yeah. thinking about that today because I've just read her short stories. Ah. Evening Mrs. Craven and I was thinking I really must reread One Fine Day because I was blown away by that the first time I read it. I remember your review, yeah. I think it, I'm trying to remember if I had re- reread it by the time your review came out or if, it, if your review was one of the reasons I did go and reread it because it was about eight, nine years between my readings of it. I read it when I was 17 and then again when I was about 26, 27 and the second time around 
I loved it so much. It's, I thought it was such an extraordinary sort of evocation of the English countryside and the post-war feelings and beautifully written and wonderful insights into characters and very funny and all the, all these things that I probably should have got the first time around. I didn't dislike it the first time around, but I just thought, oh, that's all right. But I was wrong. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think it's, well, it's maturity, isn't it? And there's so many books that I've come back to in later life and obviously my experience my experience of life has, has changed and you know the things that I've ex- I've been through and you know relationships and things like that and you that you don't get when you're young because you haven't had that those things happen to you mm. and then when you read read books later on and you think actually yeah no that did feel like that and you, you really have captured how how that feels um and you couldn't bring that experience to the book when you're younger so i think there are a lot of books that you can read in every stage of life and you'll get something from them and then i do also think though there are some books like i know a lot of people just to refer back to last week um say like the catcher in the right can only be read by teenagers and as soon as you're not a teenager anymore you can't read it again because you won't get anything from it i would disagree with that <laughs> but you I, learned, yes. I, can, yeah, I can see why people say it though i think there are some books are for particular stages of life and other books i think you can carry with you i have the i can't work out if it's a disadvantage or a advantage for this sort of topic of having only read rubbish throughout my teenage years <laughs> it seems maybe not after the age of 15 perhaps it got better but, but, but sort of 10 to 15 i solidly solidly read rubbish and <laughs> tried to return to um, that bastion of literary merit, Sweet Valley High, <laughs> a few years ago, thinking, was it as bad as I... I mean, is it as bad as I assume it is now? Because I, I freaking love those yeah. books. <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, I mean, I it's just deplorable. <laughs> I think The Babysitter's Club is worse than Sweet Valley High. <laughs> well, I never read those. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't read anything else until I was about 12. I just would reread and reread and reread them. And just, These are amazing. They were awful, awful, awful. Of course they were. <laughs> but they gave us loves of reading. That's the, the, these books. Um, and going back to sort of talking about maturity, I feel as as two young people in their twenties, as we are, yes, <laughs> um, very, I, young. <laughs> very young, early to mid twenties, yes, twenty 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 nine. <laughs> but, um, We're clinging on. <laughs> <laughs> as people, as I say, in our twenties, we still have all these many decades later. Where I feel when I'm rereading books that I love now, in my, when I'm in my 60s, 70s, whatever, if I if I live that long, then. <laughs> Then I I feel like I'll look back at myself now and think, what did he know? He can't possibly have appreciated these yeah. books. No, I think so. I think so, and that's the joy of reading, isn't it? And the power of words, and that they can speak to you at so many different periods of of your life. Like I was just, I'm just thinking now. I'm looking at my bookshelves. Um, I didn't get Virginia Woolf at all when I first read her, so I stupidly um, put down on my application form to Cambridge that um, I'd read all of Virginia Woolf's novels. <sighs> Oh, Rachel. I know, terrible. And then I got called up for my interview and then thought, oh, my goodness, I have to read all of her books. How many had you read? Um, I had read half of one. (laughs) (laughs) So appalling. (laughs) So I frantically read them all. Um, And because it was under duress, um, I read them and just was like, right, I just need to read all of them. So I read them so quickly, didn't really appreciate oh, really? them all. I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, and then I sort of re- I read a few when I was at university, um, not Cambridge, evidently, so I didn't get them. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> they saw through it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, I absolutely, and then I re- started rereading all of her books about three years ago. 
and I saw so I just fell back in love with her, completely in love mm, with her. Mm. I thought she is an absolute genius, and how was I such an idiot not to see this before? <laughs> yes, I always think I was very lucky with Virginia Woolf. I I read what um, the first two that I did read before really knowing who she was. I'd, I'd seen the film The Hours and thought, oh, I, and I loved that, and I still love that, and I thought I should read more, but I had no idea that she was supposed to be this intimidating writer, or that she, yeah. so, so I wasn't put off in that way. Um, which is a blessing, and thankfully I loved her from the But every time I reread her, I love her more. I think I will continue to love her books more every time. Yeah, I yeah. think so. There's so. I mean, talk about richness and depth in a book. It's just like oh. every, you could read one of those paragraphs over and over for the rest of your life and still find new things in it, I think. Well, absolutely. I agree. So I think, um, I think what we both have in common here, then, is that we very much value the experience of rereading but it it is finding the time and also it's picking the right books to reread and I can sometimes be very reluctant to reread books even if I know I've, I've loved them just because of what I said before I'm, I'm really worried I won't love them again and I don't want to to tarnish that first experience. I have had that experience where I was really worried that I wouldn't get on with the book the same time and I really loved it and thankfully plowed on and the one I'm thinking of now is The L-Shaped Room by Lynn Reed Banks which I've read that. oh I promise you, you would love it. It's okay. um, <laughs> I, I read it when I was oh, maybe 15, I guess. I, I was, went to a charity shop in Pershaw, which is a town near where I grew up in Worcestershire, um, and just sort of picked books at random when I was just starting getting interested in reading more, or at least not reading Sweet Valley High anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> and I picked it up at random, and I loved it. But then years later, I thought, what are the chances that a book that you picked at random off a shelf without having really read anything um, is actually as great as you remember and it really is. It's a, it's um, about a young woman called Jane who gets pregnant and her father kicks her out and she moves into this dingy L-shaped room in, in a, um, I guess, apartment building. I think there's only about eight people living in the in the building. And it's, it's about the friendships she builds up with the people there, which sounds very cloying, but it's not at all. <laughs> it's just, it's such a, it is a lovely book, but it's quite a gritty book at times. It's a very moving book. And it's, sec- thankfully, second time around, just as lovely as the first time around and just as yeah. brilliant so it's me highly to a library <laughs> well, i shall when i love um rereading as well books i loved as a child but that like, classic books i loved as a child not my babysitter's club collection <laughs> um so my absolute favorite book as a child was a secret garden mm. and i for my 21st birthday my sister got me a first edition of it and it's like my most treasured possession. Wow. And I just absolutely love it. I just read, I reread it all the time. And it's all that magic that just comes back to me. And it's such a beautiful book. And it's so, it's very simply written. But it's the, the heart of it, the message that it sends about redemption and all the rest. I just love it. And do you know, I don't think I've actually read it. Oh. I For a long time I thought I had because... I've seen the film so often. <laughs> I love the film. <laughs> it was the first film I ever saw at the cinema. Oh, really? And, yeah. Uh, and I, I got it and I see, I watched that a lot. And I think probably mum and dad read the book to me. I may even have listened to it on cassette, but, I've, but I don't think I've, I've ever actually sat down and read it. So, so that's it's so beautiful. I just love it. I really do. It just speaks to my soul. <laughs> and in our family, it has the distinction of having one of the few fictional Collins. <laughs> so, well, yes, I mean, not a great Colin. Not, not a role model, not someone to aspire to. <laughs> but sorry, sorry, Carl, it's 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 a name that inspires sort of choleric <laughs> Victorian children. <laughs> uh, or not choleric, as the case may be. 
Yeah. <laughs> you should read it. You'll love it. I'm intending to actually. I was, uh, on my book bingo, I got um book that you loved as a child is one of the categories. And I was thinking, firstly, I had a pretty intense diet of Ina Blyton as a child. <laughs> and, and secondly, can I count a book that I loved without actually reading and thus read The Secret Garden for that one? And I, I think I can. I think you can. <laughs> I'll give you permission. Thank you very much. I will use you as my defence if the office cry out against it. <laughs> Have you so? Have you thought of any more rereads that turned out to nosedive the second time around? Yeah, I think you know the one I'm thinking of is um, Valette. Ah. Which, as I have mentioned before, so many callbacks. Yeah. So many callbacks. I just was a sobbing mess the first time I read it. I just thought this is the most heartbreaking book I've ever read. Um, the second time, I only made it halfway through <laughs> because I was so bored, um, and I think I had built it up to because I remembered the ending being so powerful I'd built it up to be this enormously um powerful and tense and mm. supernatural sort of book and actually there are very few instances of this <laughs> and, and a lot of instances where people are just sort of doing not a lot really and <laughs> just wandering moving. around They're just wandering around <laughs> getting on boats places and talking to each other and you know being ridiculous and it's yeah, it let me down a bit. Perhaps if I'd pushed on to the end again, I would have had the same experience. But Maybe. I did. I think probably the first time I read it, I was, I was what? How old must I have been? I was in my last year at university, so I was twenty-one. I was probably emotional and, you know, <laughs> how twenty-one-year-olds are. So I, it spoke to me more. I'd probably had a bad breakup with someone or something. Knowing me, <laughs> he drowned on a boat or something. It was. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. <laughs> Yeah, I just drowned on a boat, so or to drown someone on a boat, maybe. <laughs> I'll say no more. Um, yeah. <laughs> because I find rereading is something that um, friends of mine who reread a lot tend to be those who don't read that much, if you see what I mean. So they'll they'll read the same fantasy series over and over again, or they'll go back, or they're just so wary of the world of books and don't have any people who recommend books to them or points of reference for what they're likely to like. That they do just stick to the things they know they'll like that's sad isn't it it is it is sad and i feel like those of us who read a lot but have access to all these blogs and know a lot about literature from whatever reasons know more of the sort of potential for different for books out there maybe that's why we're less willing to reread all the time because we know how much there is that we will we'll probably enjoy that is out there and we haven't read yet yeah i mean i know certainly whenever i finished a book I don't, I mean, sometimes actually my first instinct is I have to read this again straight away, which has happened <laughs> to me a couple of times. Um, Gilead, I read straight uh, again. Marilyn beautiful Robinson, book, yeah. So beautiful. Um, and also Between the Acts, Virginia Woolf, I went, as soon as I finished, I went straight back to the start and read that again because I, I was so moved by it. Um, uh, but normally when I've read a book, I just, it, it opens another door to me to somewhere else. So, for example, I'm reading... Evelyn Moore at the moment and I thought right and I was thinking while I was reading it right as soon as I finish reading this I must now go and go back and read a different Evelyn Moore because I've still got a couple of unread ones and then once I've read that I might read another Mitford and then I'll go on and do something else so it's like each book starts you on a journey to something else that where you want to widen your knowledge of that particular period or that author for example my books tend to when I'm reading it tends to lead me to buy other books but not <laughs> actually to read them yet <laughs> just... yeah there's often that happens <laughs> But that's the joy of having bought loads of books that you haven't read, because it means you can go to your bookshelves and you will find 
things that that naturally lead on from the book you've just read as well. So there you are. It's true. <laughs> it's a, a noble cause. Other <laughs> um, books that you read more than once a year? Do you think? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say. Well, unless I'm teaching it, no. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I don't think I've read. I was talking to my friend Kirsty at work today, who um, has lent me the franchise affair by Josephine Tay. Um, and I, for someone who is quite mild mannered and very sweet, she um she could not have been more forceful in getting me to read it. <laughs> you sort of like read the sorrow friendships over sort of situation, <laughs> and that's a book that she reads. She was saying reads more or less every month. Oh, um, every month. Apparently, I don't know if she was exaggerating in order to you know persuade me that I definitely had to read it. And I started it, and I'm really enjoying it. So thanks, Kirsty. But, but but um, I was thinking I tend to read. Miss Hargraves and the French Lady books about once every two years, but that's the most frequently I reread anything, except for you know Bible verses or something. <laughs> but, yeah. But no, because the thing is, I mean, I probably, I would say I probably read reread Jane Austen maybe once every two years, um, unless I mean I've, I'm teaching North Angrabi at the moment, so I must have read that about three times over the last year actually. So that's been a, a frantic rereading all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Otherwise, no, because I just I I do feel that it's a bit of a waste sometimes because I think oh, so many other books I've got to get to, and I know this one, so yeah, yeah, it's so true. Um, conundrum. So now I guess the difficult decision in terms of uh, rereading versus new books is if we could only do one from now on. Oh. So you either have to pick only rereading books you've already read, whether you like them or not, or only reading new books what do you think you go for them it's really hard isn't it uh, yeah i'm just thinking about the different possible consequences to this. <laughs> yeah um, think it through because i mean carefully it's a not a, a, decision rashly <laughs> <laughs> i do you know i think i'm gonna say new books because i've had the experience and the memories from the old books and they will never leave me um and i think it would limit my growth as a person if I wasn't able to have my eyes open to different cultures and experiences if I if I didn't continue to keep reading new books so that's why I'm saying that and I have far less confidence that my memories of them will not leave me because they already are leaving me <laughs> so <laughs> um oh I I don't know if I'm going to regret choosing this one and not that I have to put it into practice but I think I'm <laughs> going to say I would choose rereading because the idea of never reading French Lady, um, Virginia Woolf, Jane Austen, never reading them again is just too miserable a concept to entertain. So, And, I, and I've probably read, well, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand books in my life, and I could just... I could, maybe I could... Yeah, I think I'm going to go rereading for the rest of my life. Okay, well, that's... you know. That's... I, I, feel, I feel, like, flushed and nervous <laughs> at the very thought of it. <laughs> what have I done, Rachel? <laughs> Oh, I've, I, that's e- easily the most difficult decision I've had on the podcast so far out of the <laughs> out of five decisions we've had to make. <laughs> it's just, it's too much, isn't it? <laughs> Try to think what next week's will be. <laughs> yeah, it'll just be me weeping as I think, <laughs> <laughs> clutching essentially my children to me. <laughs> now I know how Meryl Streep felt in Sophie's Choice. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, so moving swiftly on. <laughs> Let's Let's talk D.E. Stevenson versus Dorothy Whipple. Let's do that. Um, 
I've only ever read one D.E. Stevenson, so do you, do you want to start talking about her? Well, I've only read two. Oh, so, well, great. So, um, the two I've read, I think I've only read two, are um, Miss Bunkle's book and Mrs. Tim of the Regiment, is it called? And yeah. I think I've probably read more than two because I think I read a copy of Mrs. Tim of the Regiment that had two different books in one or something, maybe. Well, I've read Miss Bunkle's book, so we've got one in common. <laughs> this feels like it could be a, a less um, informed discussion than perhaps it could be. <laughs> uh, well, before we move on to Dorothy Wherefore, what do you think about Miss Funkel's book? Well, um, I, I feel awful saying this because I know lots of people think it's wonderful, but I didn't love it. Um, I just thought it was too twee. Okay. And very simplistic. And just there was just, there was a lack of complexity to it that I just thought it was it was very charming and cozy and I I didn't I enjoyed reading it it wasn't an unpleasant experience but it didn't change my world in any way. Well, I've got a feeling that our decision making is going to be sublimely easy for the second half because <laughs> I I feel more or less the same I, okay. I I haven't read the sequels yet which um I've heard are worse but um but <laughs> I I enjoyed Miss Wong's book plenty you know it was fine it was enjoyable but i didn't think it was particularly well written i um that's not quite fair i didn't think it was badly written but i thought there were quite a lot of cliches in the sense of phrase and it felt a bit simplistic i guess a lovely idea a really interesting concept sort of idea that i wish dorothy whipple had written about to be honest (laughs) and then i read um my system of the regiment which i really did love that was much more enjoyable i thought but it was Pretty much a direct copy of the provincial lady, as oh, <laughs> so like, okay. like unnervingly similar in tone for the for the first half or the first book out of the two because she put two together and, and by the second one I think she'd reverted to her own tone and it was much less of an impression. It's still very enjoyable. But the first one, it just it really, really did feel like she'd read the provincial lady books and thought, well, these are doing well. <laughs> um, and I I can't remember exactly the timings of the two, but I, I did check at the time that it came after the first one, a uh, first provincial lady book, and thought. Oh, I'll turn my hand to this, see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting, actually. Yeah, because it, it does, now you mention that, it does, her books, her books, I say books, as <laughs> a book that I've read, um, did come across as, as her attempting to capture what was obviously a, a popular um, trend at the time, because it, it did remind me of a little bit kind of cold comfort farm in in that Mm. sense of of mocking that country way of life and the pastoral idyll and all that sort of thing um and it it felt a little bit i don't know contrived and i do think it's the kind of book now that you'd find nowadays in tesco's isn't it oh wow maybe yeah just (laughs) i mean it's it's not anything. It's not a taxing book. It's the type of book you'd. I can imagine women at the time picking that up and reading it in between doing the housework and doing all yeah. that stuff. It's. It's not something. It's an escapist piece of literature. It's. It's fine for the purposes that it serves. But I do think, um, especially considering that it's been republished by Persephone Books, mm. um, you know, I can see why it sells well because as we've said, it's a very pleasant reading experience. And I think particularly for people who are reading abroad, who are Anglophiles, it, it very mm, much yeah, speaks yeah. to that, that everyone lives like this. And we all have <laughs> lovely cottages and villages and have the vicar around for tea. Um, <laughs> that I did do quite often. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> um, it, 
it's a kind of you know what I mean it, it it's a very cliched depiction of this American perception of what British people are like I think and in within the canon of what Persephone have, have picked I certainly think it's it's much more of a lowbrow choice and I know that makes me sound like a terrible snob um, but well I, I mean it's in your blog names <laughs> I'm owning that right now <laughs> well um, dear dear listener, we'd love you to chime in in the comments about Dee Stevenson. And we obviously we're going to talk about Whiffle as well. But um, I know there are a lot of people out there who really love Dee Stevenson. I know Thomas from um, Hogglestock has read yeah. many many of her books. Um, I think Darlene loves her. I'm sure lots of you do. And I'd love to know recommendations for her best ones, defences of her literary standing. I can't remember who I've in the past have said that I didn't think Miss Bunkle's book was brilliantly written to and they they visibly sort of um hackles rose sort of thing. So, I feel like it's gonna be daggers at dogs. Yeah, whoever that was, comment and let us know. Um Yeah, I feel like because we have read so few of her books, perhaps <laughs> that's all we're equipped to say. But how much have you read of um Dorothy Whipple? Everything. Oh wow. And more than once. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I have not read everything, but I have read... I was writing them down before the podcast uh, started. I've read six of her books, so plenty. <laughs> um, okay, good. Which I will quickly rattle off. I've read Someone at Distance, They Knew Mr. Knight, Green Banks, High Wages, The Closed Door, and Every Good Deed. <laughs> okay. So I've I've not read They Were Sisters in the Priory, which are the two enormous ones that for seven you've done. You recall my thoughts on long books. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Um, I think well, I can hear cats fighting outside, so apologies if they are appearing on the recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, I I think actually, um, I don't think either of them, I wouldn't say the ones that you haven't read, I don't think I would say they were her absolute best. Um, you haven't read Because of the Lockwoods either? Uh, no, I haven't. No. Um, again, that, I wouldn't say that was one of her best. They're still excellent books, but I don't think you've—I um, don't think you've picked well the ones. Oh, okay, I think it. <laughs> Which ones would you class as her best? Then? Well, my absolute favourite is Green Banks. See, I don't remember anything at all about it. <laughs> so, so I read it, I think, twelve years ago before Persephone did it. I had an old paperback copy of it. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't remember anything at all. I remember what my copy looked like. That is a surprising case. <laughs> um, I've actually read it twice. Um, and that that has been a reread that oh. I very much enjoyed even more so the second time around. Um, I think it's such a beautiful and poignant depiction of family life and growing older and um, regrets, but also the beauty that you find in the everydayness of life. And I think for people who, who don't do necessarily extraordinary things, and I think all of us feel like this sometimes, we're not doing anything extraordinary, we're just getting up and going to work and coming home again. And, and being, Speak for yourself, Rachel, I'm extraordinary. It's that feeling that actually there is magic and beauty in, in doing those things, and there's so much meaning in family life and the love that you have for the people around you. And Dorothy Whipple's so... Um, insightful and perceptive about those things and she brings the 
ordinariness of life to an extraordinary level and she elevates the experiences mm. that we have to something that's much more profound than perhaps other novelists are able to depict because she can just she just so perfectly manages to enunciate what it's like to be a person and I haven't and I, I know that sounds ridiculous but it's I think it's such a quality in her writing that if you haven't read her it's hard to it's hard to describe and that she just manages to be so real about things in such a beautiful um, beautiful, beautiful way. Ah, that's lovely. Oh. <laughs> you always make me feel quite moved. Like I'm li- listening to sort of the rousing speech at the end of a moving film, <laughs> 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 and it works completely. But um, I have more mixed feelings about Dorothy Wilbur. That I, I really do love um, someone at a distance, and they knew <laughs> Mr. Knight. I thought, in fact, which were the first two I read. Um, going back again, sort of twelve years. Um, and I've not reread, but I do remember them much better. And yeah, everything you said, I agree with. And so, so cleverly plotted, I thought, of someone at distance as well. Um, really cleverly done, looking at how actions, the sort of butterfly effect, I guess. Yeah, how actions can affect people. Um, and I loved it. They knew Mr. Knight, I believe. I think it's a bit towards the end where if the mother goes outside and sort of communes with God or gets. There's a bit, I remember reading it and thinking there's a bit about faith here that wouldn't yeah. happen in a modern novel and I really, yeah. I really like that that's there and that she wasn't sort of ashamed to write about it and, that's, and it was a part of that character's life in a really fundamental way in a, but, but I don't know, I feel like authors would be too reluctant to include that sort of thing today in general. I, I agree and I think that's what actually makes her books so moving and so powerful is that she's unafraid to talk about faith and about looking mm. to something beyond yourself and you know i i really appreciate that and and i love reading those sections of her of her novels because you don't get to read them in modern novels nowadays so people are afraid of talking about religion um and i mm. think it's really sad yeah i suppose with marilyn robinson being one of the few exceptions that i can think of right yeah. but then how widely is she read that's the thing. true yes <laughs> it should be far more widely read because Gilead is the most, I could, I mean, I just tear up thinking about it. It is, yeah, oh, it's an extraordinary trilogy, all of them. Yeah. But yes, it, with with Whipple, I have had less good experiences with some of her books. Um, I I wasn't particularly overwhelmed by the, the is it the closed door, a closed door, the collection of short stories. I th- okay, why is that? Well, I thought it when I said it, I thought, oh, this, these stories are excellent and, and really well observed. And then to me, it seemed like all the stories were more or less the same story. Um, it seemed to be very similar sort of characters and going through similar sort of experiences. Well, what I would say about that, Simon, yes, um, <laughs> is that I think that is her strength in the fact that she, she does explore very similar things because what she's doing is, is she's looking at life and she's looking at a very um, particular set of people and how they live their lives. And I don't think that many of us have very different lives from one another, if you see what I mean. Mm. And I think by doing that, she's attempting to demonstrate how um, similar we are and how similar our experiences are and how there's only little things, there's not very much that separates us. And in a more, in a wider way, I mean, I'm probably taking this far too far, <laughs> but um, I feel like it's the sense of, of her attempting to perhaps bring people together and say, you know, <laughs> look at these people's lives, we are all the same. And these things could happen to any one of us, encouraging us to be more compassionate people, perhaps. 
Well, that's a much better spin on it than mine of she wasn't very original. <laughs> well, that's the fabulous Simon, I don't know, but <laughs> um, I think maybe also it was the fact that they similar sort of structures and arcs to the story, and I I I could cope with a one arc of a novel, but this one was. I read them all in one go and it kept sort of yeah, I, rising and crashing and rising and crashing as yeah. they went through their triumphs and disasters. I mean, sometimes this, I have a bit of a problem with when sometimes pe- they do collections of stories like this, especially considering that all of those stories were published in different publications at different times mm. and they weren't meant to be put together as a collection. They weren't meant to be read all at one after the other and read in their original format. Those similarities probably wouldn't have been noticed. Whereas, when you put them all together, you do start to feel a bit like, oh, hang on, this is very similar in theme to the previous one, or that character yeah, is very yeah. similar. And I don't think it does writers a, a service sometimes when you, people, I mean, I know why people want to put them together, and I think it's great that they're accessible to people, but at the same time, you do have to think, well, you know, should they be put together in this order? Like, who decides what order they go in, etc., etc.? This is a debate for another day. It is, we should discuss this. But you're right, it is not the ideal sort of reading experience in the way that reading one of her novels yeah. would be. And which brings me on to the other one. I said it's a novella, really. Um, Every Good Deed, I thought, was not as good as her others. And I'm trying to remember why I thought that. <laughs> what do you think about that book? Um, well, I remember the crushing disappointment when it arrived, because I, I, I bought it on eBay for 99p and was, like, dancing around my room. Like, <laughs> amazed. I was like, this is such a bargain. I've done so well for myself. Um, and then it arrived, because the picture just showed the front of it when I when I saw it on eBay. And then it came, and I in an envelope, I thought, this is very thin. <laughs> I sent me the wrong thing. And then I opened it up and thought, oh, goodness, this is ridiculous. And then I thought, oh, well, it's war standard economy paper, so it's <laughs> paper, so maybe there's more to it. And I was like, no, this is literally like a short story. Um, it is a novella. It's disappointing in that sense, in that I think actually she could have, done more with it i don't know why she made it that length because it's very it's unique among her novels because she's she is a long book writer Mm, mm. um but it's yeah it felt like a bit a bit it did feel a bit rushed a bit dashed off Um, and if yeah it felt maybe like a short story that got out of control a bit but it didn't get it didn't get quite as long as a novel or didn't yeah i mean i'd actually be interested to know more about the circumstances of her writing it because it does feel like she was writing it under duress in some way like she had to get it done for a particular deadline or something because it just it doesn't feel the same as her other books they saying that i did still think there are is beautifully written like the prose is wonderful and the story is very disturbing mm. um and and quite disconcerting actually in places but i did i did i wanted it to be longer there was something about, it, it didn't quite come off for me no so that's the probably i would say is her her weakest have you read, um, and I haven't, the um, sort of diary slash working notebook or whatever it is that where she writes about these sorts of things? No, I haven't. I have got a copy of it. It's not a book. I've got a photocopied copy of it. Um, I can't remember where I got from. Probably. No. <laughs> that sounds it. Um, I, um, I found that and her autobiography um, in a little bookshop in, in Cornwall one time and swooped on them. No, swept you on them. didn't. What, you've got I, random commentary. Yeah, yeah. I'm so jealous. And I couldn't. It was one of those things. Where I was with. I was there with my dad. I think it was cool, but it was somewhere. I was there with my dad, and I, I, I was sort of breathless with excitement when I saw <laughs> these books. Like snatched them off the shelf in case anyone like crept in behind me and grabbed them. And I was making such a big fuss of this. And 
And I, I do make a fuss about books quite often. So dad obviously was more or less ignoring this, being like, oh, you say that about everything. And I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't, this is an exception. <laughs> I mean, I haven't read them, but, 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 but I'm excited to get them. And this will make you even more jealous, I'm afraid. I was at the book barn in Somerset uh, a few years ago, and I bought a copy of The Priory there um, because I hadn't got it. And I took it home and opened it up and found that it was signed by her. Simon, and you're not even a huge fan. I feel I, now. I feel super guilty. I feel like I should like FedEx it to you immediately. <laughs> I feel like this should happen. <laughs> I mean, it's in Somerset, so thankfully the feeling would have worn off by the time I go to my parents' house. <laughs> but I am a huge fan. I am. I am a fan. Just maybe not as much as you. I'm oh, sorry. Shame on you, Simon. I mean, I have got the other day her autobiography, which I had a similar experience. I was in um, I got one of the bookshops on Charing Cross Road, and I was looking around and there was nothing in there and I was literally just turning to leave and then this little glint of a <laughs> of a silver writing on a spine caught my eye and I was like oh I thought I think that's a Dorothy Biffle and I went went closer and I just thought I was like oh my <laughs> goodness and I was like there's no one else in here and I'd like to do that this little victory dance and then <laughs> it and picked it up and I thought oh it's going to be about 50 pounds and I'm not going to be able to buy it and then I opened up the front cover and I was like four pounds I literally <gasps> ran uh, it and ran to the counter. Like the same thing you said, in case like, someone else came like, yeah. by me and wanted it. It's like, no one wants this book. <laughs> it's been here for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The most exciting thing that ever happened to me. It was like £4 and 10 shillings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think I got home and I said to my flatmate, I was like, oh, I can't even believe what I found. And she was just like, yeah, great, Rach. <laughs> no one understands this. No I need to blog about this instantly. <laughs> and I, I thought that was really good, actually, because she had this lovely, um, very Victorian childhood, and that's quite fun to read about. But I mean, it's not, it's not sort of groundbreaking or anything, but it's it's enjoyable, and I think it offers an interesting insight into her psyche and the the decisions she makes about the things that she chooses to write about, because she is a very domestic writer. Oh, absolutely. Um, which, you know, obviously we both adore. So. Well, quite. Um, Nicola Bowman, um, doyenne of Stephanie Books, was very keen that I, I do a doctorate on Dorothy Ripple and always seemed very hurt when I said I didn't want to. Um, I did later wish maybe that I had, but uh, but no, I, I still love my doctoral topic. But um, yes, every time I go and say, you're going to do a doctorate on Dorothy Whipple, and then I, when, once I started doing my, my uh, defil on a different topic, would always introduced me to other people as someone who didn't write a doctor <laughs> on Dorothy Whipple. <laughs> Have you? But the um, thing is, you know, I do think, and I've, I've spoken to Nicola about this as well, in the sense that there isn't actually, the, the, the weird thing about it is that there's so much to sort of think about from reading her books, but in, would there be much to study? Well, I, yes, I, I, so, I mean, there might be for a certain sort of um, mind, but I feel like I would have found it very hard to, to yeah. pull out what there was to study. Because, I guess because it is, in the best possible way, quite insular. It's not Yeah. It's not tackling much beyond the home. And people can write, obviously, endlessly about the home. And I, there probably would be things to say, but I've, it's the sort of thing where it t- gives you a greater understanding of human emotion and a greater understanding of um, how people, yeah, how people live their lives in quite yeah. sort of quiet minutiae sort of way rather than you know here's a chapter on the use of you know litotes and the hearth or something <laughs> yeah and exactly and i mean there's she's not necessarily a hugely figurative writer um and she's also 
not talking about wider themes. I mean, you can say, a lot of people say, oh, well, Jane Austen doesn't talk about anything, and they're like, well, actually, let's, yeah. let's talk about the militia. <laughs> Sit yourself and, down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is going to be a lecture now. <laughs> so, but there isn't that sense of, of external events necessarily, and I'm sure, though, saying that, I mean, I'm just thinking now, there are. I mean, you could look at the way in which society is changing through the relationships so for example i mean i'm just going to shamelessly ruin all of the plots now sorry everybody don't take my headphones off <laughs> <laughs> but for example in someone at a distance where you're looking at marital breakdown and the very free sexual behavior of, of those characters who you know louise he's coming over from france i mean the fact that she's coming from france and behaves in that way a little bit of um <laughs> rush there i think a little bit of um, racism, <laughs> but that's of, um, you know the world changing and the the the, the marriage of, of people being very secure and and be, and being able to be secure in a family life that's starting to be eroded as you move into the fifties and sixties. I think you are seeing societal change in the background of the of the character's behaviour, and that is something that that would be worth talking about, especially as she's one of those novelists who's quite rare in that she had a long period where she was writing. So her first novels are the thirties, and then she finishes writing at the end of the fifties. So a huge amount of change is happening um, in Britain and in the world as, as a whole. Mm-hmm. So thinking about a novel that's that's in the 30s is pre-war actually i think the high wages are not high wages her first novel um young anne is pre-war and then i think someone what's her last is it someone at a distance was her last i um, think it was yeah so and that's late 50s so it is a huge spectrum of societal upheaval and if you wanted to plumb the depths i'm sure that you could <laughs> some very interesting things to say and this has now made me want to do that um, well, yeah. I, saw, I was immediately contradicting my own point in my head as is my one <laughs> thinking how interesting uh um uh not uh, uh, essay or something on finance and then you must deny it would be yeah yeah and you know also what a interesting prediction really of of life in the future of how money and the way in which people would manipulate one another with finances and how people value everything and place value on, on finance and this kind of Ponzi scheme sort of situation where things fall mm. beneath you. I mean, it, it's all these issues are, are still prevalent now. And I think that timelessness of her books is quite um, deceptively obvious when you read them and that's why i find it quite annoying when i hear people say things like oh well you know she's so dated and blah 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 it's not dated it's not dated at all everything that you read in the is absolutely applicable to modern life and that reminds me um and i'm sure you share my feelings on this of um the whipple line yes Yes. (laughs) um for those who don't know and i think most people who read our blogs probably do know (laughs) but um uh carmen khalilo the then editor of uh, Virago Morning Classics line um, has said they had the imaginary Whipple line below which they would not publish i.e. they thought that she was not worth publishing anything they deemed to be of less value or less co- less good quality than her novels they would not publish and which rightly has outraged subsequent generations of readers 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very short-sighted and also ignorant view because I think they're missing the depths of, of what Dorothy Griffin is exploring. And she's looking at women's experiences and she's looking at children's experiences a lot of the time as well. Her ability to understand children is extraordinary. And mm. her prescience about thinking about, you know, how the world is changing and, and looking at the world through older people's eyes, looking back over their lives and thinking about how they would have done things differently. I mean, there's so much in these books about humanity and the experience of what it is to be human and her ability to articulate that in words and also to very much articulate that through the eyes of women and to very much think about what is specifically a woman's experience through family life, through relationships um, and through ch having children and through working and all those sorts of things. You know, it's I've very, in fact, I don't think I have found descriptions of what it is to be a woman that are more accurate and more touching than in her books frankly. and i think yeah the, the whole topic of or the whole talk of whiffleline was maybe um representative of a certain wave of feminism or a certain wave of certain feminists which was rejecting the domestic as sort of yeah. dragging dragging down the image and later feminists such as ourselves <laughs> um and of course many leading feminists now have recognized the importance of representing the domestic representing yeah. different approaches to to being a woman and I, I i don't understand that attitude because all of us spend most of our lives at home so why would that be anti-feminist to discuss that experience absolutely i, I like to think that, that carmen Khalil has um changed her mind about this subsequently i don't know if she has carmen if you're listening let us know <laughs> 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 Uh, I mean, unless, I mean, if she's talking about the quality of her work, then she needs to know more about good writing. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't understand that at all because I her writing is is beautiful and very cleverly crafted, and I don't really understand why someone would say otherwise. It, it's mystifying. Thank you, Persephone, and thank you, Nicola, for bringing it back. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think that we don't have a particularly difficult decision ahead of us, <laughs> <laughs> but but I will ask you for the sake of consistency. Um, to your book's decision, Rachel, are you going to pick Dee Stevenson or Dorothy Whipple? <laughs> Simon, you know, you're just pulling out my nails here. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, there's no contest for me. In fact, I don't even really think they're comparable. Um, to be quite honest. And with the caveat that I'm more than willing to try more Dee Stevenson and see what else is out there, I'm certainly also going to pick Dorothy Whipple. Good. <laughs> I think you should read The Priory because that is very good. I really enjoyed that. And I don't know if I mentioned, but I have a signed copy, so I'll... Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to come to your house and see everything. <laughs> I'll come in yeah. the night. I have witnesses now. <laughs> but, uh, I, um, I would also, for people who haven't read Dorothy Whipple, I'm just going to do a little plug here. Is that okay? I do, yeah. Um, I think a really good place to start is someone at distance because that really does give an insight into her mm. powers as a novelist um and they knew mr knight is quite similar in in the same level of, of tension within the plot um i think her other books the tension as you know because of the lockwoods has a, quite a fair amount of tension i don't love that as much as the others i have to say but the others the, the tension comes from the tension between family relationships whereas someone at a distance and they need Mr Knight look at external forces coming into a family um and and breaking that unit up mm -hmm. um 
which you know you could argue if you wanted to go metaphorical on this which <laughs> i've just come to mind now is perhaps a metaphor for modernity simon oh well with that thought <laughs> we will we will we will wrap up sum up and leave <laughs> so, uh, so thanks very much for listening everyone we'll be back in about uh, a couple of weeks great thanks so much for listening bye